The conversations on this podcast are between the host and the guest and are not directed at any member of the general public. The information is for your listening pleasure, but is not offering you any personal advice. If you have heard something that you feel may be relevant to yourself, please visit your medical practitioner or mental health provider. Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. I'm Daniel and I hope you've had a good week again. Uh, Lots of good feedback, lots of emails and lots of people finding me on uh, Instagram at life underscore changes you underscore podcast. We have a huge following there for uh, daily updates and you can watch the lives on a Wednesday. Uh, Last week's podcast was Leandra from LJV Coaching and that touched a lot of people, her story, and a lot of people are going to connect with her, which is really good because her story was quite interesting and she's been through quite a lot to get to where she is now. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, I'd go back and listen to last week's one. I'm going to be taking a break from this Sunday um, and I'll be back on June the 12th for season three. Lots of new guests coming up. I've got uh, Bob uh, from The Secret. I don't know if you remember that book, The Secret, uh, quite a few years ago. He's coming on to talk about all those things around the secret and he's really interesting and some other people who i haven't introduced you to who are coming on for the next few so look lots of new guests i know that you love the regulars and you also love the ones that keep coming well the ones that keep coming back but you also like the new people too and uh so today i've got mike carroll back with me from mc counseling now we spoke uh, i think it was two or three weeks ago and the podcast originally was going to be about his life and how he became a drug and alcohol coach uh helping people recover from addiction but we sort of got caught up in all that and we didn't get to hear his story and i heard his story a couple of months ago on an instagram live so you can always go back and have a listen to that or 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 watch that because you can see both of us talking it's also on youtube but mike has had quite a different start to his life compared to most people I know. And it's a fascinating story. And it's also inspirational to hear what he's been through and where he is now as a coach. So let me introduce you to Mike. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm very good, Dan. Thank you so much for the invitation again to come back. And it was hilarious that we're going to talk about my story. And we we went nowhere near that last time. No, no, no. And I think so much fun. While we were recording, I actually paused it and said, look, I know we haven't got into your story, but I think where we're going with this is actually really good anyway. So let's bring you back and do your story. Fantastic. So I was adopted when when I was about six weeks old. And so lots of trauma started for me then in my life. And I suppose you could say trauma We don't look at trauma a lot of the times unless it's sexual assault or sexual abuse or physical assault. But trauma can be lots of different things. It's separation a lot of the time too. And when I say separation, it's like with an adoption, even though a lot of the time the person is going to a very lovable person, which is obviously what we want, but there's still that separation from the person that gave birth to to that that infant, to that very, very small child. And so... That happened to me at six weeks old. Then my adopted parents, they had me and when I was 17, they then divorced and got remarried. Um, I also, so my real mother, as in my biological mother, she was 14 when she had me and she was from Fiji. So she 
she came out from Fiji, put me up for adoption after she had me, went back and as if everything was okay. I met her when I was 16 and it Can was Can I really just ask you there, though? Different. So if she came over here, did she come over here with her family? Yeah, she because she stayed with her auntie when she's when in Australia. Yep. So being in Australia, staying with with her auntie, she looked me up many years later and wanted to to find out what was going on. One of the reasons was that uh, my father had my biological father had actually died, and so basically my auntie, who I got in contact with, wanted to find out more about me being included in the will. Okay. So. I met my mum and she wanted to have nothing to do with me and said that if I wanted to, to have anything to do with her, I had to send it through her aunt, my great aunt, and right. deal with it that way. So, um, yeah, not a horrible time in my life. Um, and then when that didn't happen, um, I, I stayed in contact with my auntie who's in, who's in Melbourne in Murrumbina and also other parts of the family as well too. Okay, so when your mum came here at 14 and put you up for adoption, uh, was that her choice or was that like a request from her her family? Well, she didn't want anyone in Fiji to know that she was pregnant because being, you know, or having intercourse before you're married is very against many of the, the different religions that Fiji, the, or that Fiji has you know, or, or India for that matter as well. Yep. And so she wanted to do it on the quiet. So she basically have come out to Australia to, for a holiday and then going back to um, Fiji after that. So, but her parents must have been the ones to send her here to her auntie because, Correct. yeah. Um, and so then after you were given birth, uh, she went back to Fiji and you were then adopted by your adopted mum and dad. Correct. And what was that like? What was the upbringing like with them? It was good, apart from the fact that they divorced. And it was only recently that I've, I've been able to see that some of the trauma that my mother dealt with, which is what then almost went down the line because I I then copped her trauma in, in, in different ways as well. And so we have always had a very um, all over the place relationship, I suppose you'd say, because we sometimes we're very close other times where we're completely the opposite and just recently been able to to i think appreciate our differences yeah. and that's been a really positive thing to be able to do and all along the time of mum and dad splitting up my adopted parents mum was constantly saying negative things about dad and, and vice versa yeah. so it was very toxic yeah. and no one really got along very well and with your, so you said that you met your adoptive mum and that was when you were 17. Yes. So how was that when you first met her? I mean, what were you feeling going to meet her? What were your feelings? Um, oh, they were, it was weird because for the first time even back then, I was lost for words, Daniel. I didn't know what to say. Wow. You know, I'm like, okay, well, what do you say? You know, maybe, you know, because when you think about it, You'd have heaps to say, but no, had nothing to say. And, and did um, your parents, your adopted parents, did they tell you from a young age that you were adopted? It was pretty obvious, Dan, because they're white and I'm dark. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and that was another uh, traumatic event, I suppose you could say, in terms of discrimination and racism was that I was with white parents, you know, yeah, and yeah. so I was the dark kid. So you were always looked at. Everybody turned, especially growing up in Australia in the 80s. Yeah. 
you know, very different <laughs> from from today. It's much more. But, so the relationship you had with your adopted mum and dad, um, it, it felt like a normal family, even though you knew you were different. For sure. Good, good. And then so you met your mum, you were lost for words. What did she say to you when she met you? That's a great question. I can't remember, actually. Um, but I met her with my auntie, so it wasn't yep. so, like, just the two of us. And so it was my parents, my adopted parents, it was her, my auntie, and I think we went out for dinner or something. Mm. And then so this is the first time you've met your real mum. I mean, you must have been quite hesitant but also quite excited to meet her um, because you've heard that, you know, that's your real mum and she's coming to see you. Um, but then it didn't work out. Well, it was interesting because she's been married her husband didn't know about me right and so he would find out she didn't want that right um she just wanted to i think satisfy the curiosity that you'd have okay you know at such a young age having having a kid and then having nothing to do with it not that it and then it being in a different country let alone a different state of the same country so how did you actually connect with your auntie then so if you're with your adopted family, obviously your auntie must have reached out to them or to you knowing that you were there, yeah. uh, and then she must have contacted your pa- your mum and said, hey, look, you know, I've found Mike or I know where Mike is. Do you want to meet him? Yeah, pretty much. And the way that the adoption works shouldn't have happened, but through some, you know, amazing coincidence, we're able to connect. And so I still see my auntie today, my great auntie today. She's she, she's wonderful. She's a very, very lovely lady. Okay. And so with your mum, so you meet her and then you get an email and she says, I don't want anything to do with you. You can just contact me through email if that's what you want to do. Um, how did that make you feel? Oh, just completely um, unloved, unwanted, even more unwanted. And just lost. It's like you want it all on your terms. Yeah. And that's it. You know, just, yeah. And I would imagine being adopted, you would have so many questions that you wanted answers to that really your mum is the only one that can give them to you. She's the only one that can sit you down and say, well, I uh, I adopted you out because of this and these are your other family, but, you know, these family are good. These aren't, you know, there's so many things that you'd want to know about. Um, Did you get any of those answers before she sort of said, I don't really want to communicate. It's interesting because I didn't, I wasn't like that. I was more like, I don't have your genes, dad. I don't have your genes, mum. So it's whatever happens. And I think there was a time that I wanted to know a lot of stuff. And then it was like, well, you're just, you're beating yourself up about things that you can't change. Yeah. And that why live like that when someone clearly doesn't want to be in your life. And so during the years, I mean, cause we'll get on to what happened after all this has gone through. Um, what happened? Uh, how many times do you think you've been in contact with your mum over the last 20, 30 years and from 17? I haven't. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So it just it just dissipated and you didn't hear any more from her? No. Wow. That's pretty hard going, isn't it? Well, it is because, you know, this is someone that's, like, really selfish because you don't just want to meet someone that's your son and then decide that, no, you don't want to do that. 
um, you don't want to stay in contact. Like you either, I believe you're all in or you, or, or, or you don't make that don't connect in the first place, you know, cause it's, it's all on your terms completely. And you don't say that until the end. Yeah. You know? So did you ever get to meet your biological father? No, because he died. Um, yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah. So he died before you actually met your mum? Correct. Yeah. And so what what happened after you've met your mum and, you know, things didn't go as well as planned, what happened in your life? Because you say you've got the trauma of being separated from biological mum and dad. You've met new, you've moved in with new people. You've been brought up by them, by them with all these questions and, you know, why wasn't I accepted, blah, blah, blah. Um, And then what happened to you yourself? Because then you started to go on a bit of a spiral. Oh, totally. And so do you think it was a mix of all those things or was there other things? I guess there was racism as well in there. There's um, racism, there's discrimination, there's the the first time that we ever have drugs, the first time we, we maybe not the first time we get pissed, but the first time we have drugs, you know, it's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. It's like everything else just stops, just like yeah. that. That experience never never repeats itself, but we go looking for it. But the other thing is that, it's what your, all your friends did as well. And I'm not saying because they all do something, you do it as well, but it was like, these are the people that you've grown up with. And then we've all gone towards that as well. Yeah. Only for some, it's just fun and that's it for others, you know, or for me, it was like, this is the way of, of surviving. This is the way of, of being able to do everything. Yeah. And so, I mean, cause after that, you did have a successful career in radio. <laughs> yes, I did. So, you know, you got yourself back on track at some stage. Were you still finding life difficult even though you were in sort of, I guess for some people, a dream job? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. But it was like I was doing night radio. So that's when everyone, you know, parties on the weekend when you're younger, blah, blah, blah. But it was like you'd work uh, 7 till midnight, Monday to Friday, then Sunday, 6 a.m. till midday. So I was on the radio pretty much all the time. So there's very little time to, to actually be with friends and family and, 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 and do stuff. So everything was done by myself, you know, and, and, you know, no one really knew what was going on. Yeah. So I guess when you're doing, so did you say Sunday, 6am till midday you were doing radio? Yes. Wow. So then I guess you come home from that and you would want to sleep because you've got up, I guess at four or four 30 raced in, started doing radio and on a Sunday morning, is there many people that are listening to the radio or are they mainly recovering from parties or? Well, they're coming home from parties. So between 4.30 and 5 o'clock, you've got a few listeners, Dan. But then yeah. between 6 when you're on, everyone's dead to the world. Yeah. <laughs> so when you first finished school, yes. what did you do first of all? I worked at Pizza Hut. Okay. Full time? No, no, no. Just... Uh, just casual delivering yeah. pizzas, then yeah. chief supervisor. Yeah. And then what progressed after that? I went to radio. So I got into radio. That was in Cooma in New South Wales, yeah. working for, for Snowy Mountains 2XL. And I did the, um, I recorded the snow reports onto these old things called cartridges. And then 
would take the cartridges, which are probably like VHS cassettes. It's like one piece of recording on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, look, I used to work on 3PBS radio here in Melbourne. Hey, and love it. I remember all those ones. I'd have like number one to seven that I had to play between my two-hour show. <laughs> Perfect. And you'd get and the so- cartridge, shove it in, and then press play, and it would just play. That's right. And if yeah. you're lucky enough to have a few of them, as one would stop, the next one would start. So you could have four lined up. So you could have like, you know, two minutes of ads, you know, and then you could go and go to the toilet. I mean, look, radio must have changed a lot because I'm talking about when I was 20, 21. Um, yeah. And I remember I had two turntables. I think we just had one CD player in because they'd just come in. And then we had the cassettes. We had to play those uh, cartridges. And we did actually have a tape deck as well that we could play music from. Um, but also you had to fill in all those APRA forms where you had to write down every song you played. Oh, Dan, you, you started off by talking about some great stuff, then you finished with those bloody damn APRA reports. Oh, it was a nightmare. And you had to make sure you had enough Australian content in there. That's so right. I'd always be getting to the end of my show and go, oh, God, I've got to get another three Australian songs in. What am I going to play? <laughs> yes, so much fun. and. And it was, it is because it's very different today. So I, I loved, loved being on the radio, but I wasn't on the radio. I was just recording. And then I was doing the overnight show. So, and I, and that was for the Goulburn station and for, and for Kuma as well. So lots of fun there. And then, and then I got on air a few, uh, about a year later and yeah. was doing um, the, the hot 30. And then that's where I basically go from there to Nara. So you were presenting the hot 30. Hot th- the hot 30 countdown. Wow. <laughs> yes. That's pretty impressive. I mean, I remember being about 12 or 13 sitting next to the radio. It wasn't even a radio cassette. It was a cassette <laughs> recorder in front of the radio. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so anyone that was walking around the house, you'd be going, shh, shh, I'm trying to record the Hot 30. <laughs> and did you hate the fact that the DJs would always talk up to the post or the post or as the lyrics start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at the end, an ad would come straight in and you'd be trying to stop it before the ad started playing. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, you probably, you're a little bit younger than me. You probably had a radio cassette, whereas we had a cassette player and a radio and you had to hold one in front of the other. I never did that. But but, but I, I, we had cassette players, yes. Yeah, but it was a radio cassette, wasn't it? It was together. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, that's right, yes. Yeah, yeah, whereas ours was radio here, cassette recorder here, put oh, it in front of the speaker okay. and record it. Okay, I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so not good quality like you grew up with. And now, I mean, you can <laughs> download any song and it's perfect quality. Yes, very true. Okay. And so that was lots of fun. At, uh, and then so after that, I went to Nowra. That was for three years and then was talking about sex too much and then got kicked off the radio there. And um, and so then, um, and that's when my gambling started because mm-hmm. I'd never taken holidays during yeah. the- 30. So I had all these holidays when they, when they, when they said, that's it, see you later. Um, and so I had three grand and I never played the pokies, although friends used to play the pokies. So I was like, oh, okay, I've got all this money. Let's so people money. overseas, it's a slot machine where you put your coins in and then pull the lever and all the things come up. Correct. Yeah. And, yeah, there's lots of them in Australia, too many. And so I, I sort of put. 20 bucks in and lost it was like oh my god that's 20 dollars how you know how can you do that um and then didn't have much success but then later on in the night um put a bit more in and then one ridiculous amounts like a grand and then did the same thing one another grand and then went back the next day to the same machine did the same thing and got another grand 
So that was the beginning of, of the gambling addiction because it was all about trying to get out of my head, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and especially being sacked, it's like, well, this is what you're going to do. What are you going to do now? And, um, you know, they had every right to, because they'd asked me to stop doing something, which I didn't do. And there was those written warnings. Um, and so, um, but yeah, there was other parts of me that were, that were living through that radio show, you yeah. know, because there was, I had many failed relationships. I was only 21 at the time. So I was still a little bit older than the audience, you know, which is perfect. Yeah. And it was, it was, a, they were all both great shows. Um, but the other part of, you know, of me breaking up with, with a person that I thought I loved because she was the first person I did, yeah. but then I didn't love myself. So how could I love her? Um, yeah. And then we'd get together eight years later, but um, in, the, in the meantime, it was, it was all about, well, we, anything can happen, but I'm getting back with this particular person. So dealing with the racism, the discrimination, dealing with the trauma of being separated from family, um, from now a partner, um, and being your first relationship, um, messing up very badly on your last radio gig, so you can't, got no no work to go to. So I went home to mum's, um, and that was that was all right, but um, still not happy with myself and and with my life. And so then I went to Taree of all places, um, which is on the just after Newcastle, about two hours from Newcastle, and worked there for a while, and then came back to Sydney and did radio shows across from Newcastle all the way up to, the, to, to far North Queensland. And that was good, but I still wasn't loving myself. And, and can I say, I would think one of the biggest problems as well during that time is that you're working on quite a successful radio station. So you've got all this adulation and people calling up and, hi, I love you. Can you play this song for me? You know how people do when you're on radio. They want they want to get in your good books. Oh, have you got any competitions? Oh, you win a competition. So I'm just wondering if that also contributed to it because, you're saying that your relationships weren't working, but you're at work DJing, uh, presenting music, loads of people listening to you, and then you go home and there must be that sort of empty space because I know when I used to do amateur theatre, you know, the run-up during the day, all day, you're hyped up, hyped up, hyped up. You go on stage at 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, you perform for your two hours, come off and have a few drinks for people, and then it's going home. And you get at home and you're like, huh. You know, because you had, I don't know, 100 people in the audience watching you perform and then it's waiting until, and I always found that the Thursday, Friday and Saturday night were the nights I performed and then on a Sunday sort of sleep because you'd had drinks and feel better, by Monday you'd wake up and you'd go, oh, you'd feel so flat because you'd had all that adulation, you had people yelling at you and wanting to shake your hand afterwards. So do you think that contributed to your sort of spiral into gambling and drinking and stuff like that? Oh, without a doubt, Dan, because, of course, that self, that validation from everybody else, we all love it. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter if you say you don't, you do love it, but that's what I required in my life. I needed that validation from other people. Being on the radio at nights when we didn't have social media, we didn't have Zoom like you and I are looking at now. We certainly didn't have podcasts. We were getting there, but we didn't have them then. Yeah. You know, and, and so the only way you heard new music was, was listening to the radio at night. There were two radio stations in regional Australia and there were the, sorry, there were three, there were the ABC. And then there was the, then when there was a station that had AM and FM. So the AM would normally play oldie music as well as being a talkback station. And the FM would play the hits, but commercial hits. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and, and that's all you had, 
you know. And, and look, you've just reminded me that we didn't have social media there. I'm thinking back now and thinking like when I was 20, you know, in your car you either listen to the radio or you put a cassette in, you know, of all your favourite tracks. And radio was so important. If you went out for a day to the beach or a picnic, you would have the radio on while you were all doing what you were doing because radio was the main thing when you are out and about. Totally. And for a lot of people at home too, you know, if you weren't watching TV, the radio would be on and, you know, and yeah. So, so getting that validation from others, massive, which is why <laughs> I talk so bigly, so bigly, I, I, I make a big part of talking about and including validation, self-validation as part of my program, Problematic Substitutes and Addiction Reprogramming, because it is when you don't want validation from other people, it's amazing how your boundaries change for yeah. yourself and for others. Yeah. Because you don't, you just like, what they've got to say is like interesting maybe, but you're not hanging off every word waiting for them to say how much they love you, you know, or, or how amazing you are. I mean, at the end of the day, you're just playing, I was just playing songs on the radio at night. The job yeah. that, yes, as you said, every, everybody wanted, yeah. but that's all I was doing. You know, I wasn't making the music, you know. No. Uh, look how far we've come. I mean, yeah, you saying about no social media, I hadn't even thought of that until you started saying it. I, yeah, I, I remember radio in the car. There, I mean, there was a lot of, um, are they public radio stations uh, that we have here that would be, you, you'd have a show that was on every week and you wouldn't miss it because that was the one where you'd hear all the new import music as well. I mean, nowadays, something gets released on iTunes, it's released globally. But back in the day, you would hear a song that you hadn't heard in this country and then you'd run down to an import record shop and order it and it would be 12 weeks before you got that, that album, you know? It's and you're just, either listening to, to Shadow Stevens in the American Top 40 or Rick Dees in the Weekly Top 40. Oh, I remember Casey Kasem. Yes, yes. <laughs> in the Weekly Top 40, yes. Anyone who's under about 35 listening to this podcast is going to go, who the hell are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> They're three amazing uh, DJs from America and they had a syndicated radio show across the world um, with the top 40 songs in America. So as, Dan, yeah, so as you're saying, Dan, like it's because America would lead the way with commercial music, you know, we'd love, we'd love listening to that. Yeah. yeah. So let's get on to, so you've, you've progressed, you've started trying drugs and alcohol, um, you've started gambling. What was the crux that made you go into recovery or seek recovery? What, what, what did you get to that you went, okay, I need to do something about this. When it rules your life and it doesn't need to rule your life, you don't need to have anything rule your life apart from what you want to do. And that's what's so important. And I was sick of, you know, as we talked about earlier, having something that you firstly enjoy that then you think you need, because it all just comes down to what we believe we need. It's like we set up a mental machine in our minds to say, we need this to function. We need this to do this. We need to do this before we do this. And then we, and we just repeat it. And whatever we repeat, we just do as, as usual. So I didn't know that at the time, but looking back now, you know, it's, it's, that's the way it is. And it's about setting up something different in your life. That's much better than having those those things, those bad negative things. And that's why very probably 
a big part of recovery is exercise. It doesn't have to be, but because people have got so much energy, you know, that they, it's good to do something positive. And of course, when we move our body to whatever level, you know, consistently, we'll always have better mental health. And so when you went into recovery, how did you find recovery? Like, was it as hard as it looks when you see shows on TV? Uh, did you find it easier because there was a structure that you had to live by? I guess for anyone going into recovery, the first week or two is going to be really hard because you're getting those toxins out of your body. Um, but so let's skip to like a couple of weeks ahead. How does that make you feel? Like, uh, are you, are you, do, it does the structure really help? Um, it, it differs for everybody. I don't reckon we need rehab at all, but I think we have a recovery process that we can go through. And that's basically coming back to the normal world. If you could say from, from your unreal world, you know, yeah. living total on, on non-reality. So having methamphetamines for as long as I did have them, um, it was constant up. There was no downtime because I wasn't doing anything else in terms of I wasn't having anything else. I wasn't having something to bring me down. I wasn't having Valium, wasn't having pots, wasn't having something to, so I was just constantly on. So very little sleep for about three years, three and a half years. Wow. And so I slept for a month, Dan. There was no rehab, no recovery. It was just, I literally slept. I had no energy at all to do anything I mean, some people say that some of the some of the the variants of COVID that they've got, or that you hear reported, are like you literally can't do anything. You physically, you know, you just you you're you're bedridden. It's hard to get up to to go to the toilet, let alone have a shower. Well, yeah. that towel was for four weeks, and it was just it was the worst four weeks of my life. You know, um, yeah, and it wasn't about trying to. Um, change my life or anything. It was just about kind of, this is terrible. I need to, you know, I need to get through this and then do something because yeah. I could be another four weeks quite easily. So then when you'd recovered, you, did you go back to your radio job? Was that still available? No, I didn't. I went into, I went into, um, I went into something different actually. I went into telcos or back into telcos. Cause I'd also done, worked in uh, the telecom industry, um, as in phones and networks and blah, 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 internet and and was that the was that when you'd gone through recovery and you actually found that you were okay again? You didn't go back to drugs. Yes, that's right. Wow, so that was pretty good. Yeah, and then it was it was more about okay, this whole process that I then went through as because as well as being on the radio, we didn't talk about me doing counselling work either. I was doing counselling and radio, but then there were sometimes I was just doing counselling, but. I'd worked for services that had a process because that's how they got funded. And so they had to do, do things a certain way, but I'm like, I don't think this works. And then when I was in that position of needing help, which I, I did ask for help and, and went the free way, it was like, no, it is, it is, it is actually all wrong. This, none of what you're doing works for me, which is why I've tried numerous times and it's never worked. Yeah. One, the actual reason for using wasn't, wasn't tackled, you know, that, a lot of people say it's trauma. Um, it can be lots of different things. But unless we look at the actual reason, which we are doing better these days, 
people are going to go back to whatever they're going, whatever they had before. Yeah. You know, we can talk about many different ways about getting rid of drugs, but, you know, the problem is until you actually deal with the reason, you're going to come back to them. So basically that, they keep coming back to the drugs. Um, but I think also personal development. You've got to learn more about yourself, about what you are, what you're doing with your life, um, what you could do with your life, why you follow um, the crowd as opposed to being out there by yourself. So, and really putting in lots of elements about my life. So when I say my life, it's like, well, I had lots of trauma in my life and I didn't deal with the issues. So let's set up a program that deals with the issues that people have, people have their addictions for. And then also understand more about themselves, which is not taught personal development, you know, understanding about yourself, about you in relation to the world, setting up some goals, some strategies for you to be the best person that you possibly can be, you know, and that's that's part of what's so important about it. I think also, you know, we're talking about personal development. There, there are the, the occasional few people who find it really hard when they're in a peer group to actually voice what they want to do or say or which way they they want to go in which direction. I mean, there's lots of people out there who, and they're probably as happy as Larry, but they're working in jobs that they started when they left school at 16, 18, 20. And for some, they go back and they restudy and others, they don't. They just continue on in their job and that's all good. But it's hard sometimes when you speak to people and you say, have you thought about going and doing a course or have you thought about a learning a new skill or have you even thought of a new hobby? And sometimes you can find that people are so enmeshed in their relationship with their other half or that, oh, no, my dad worked at the factory or my dad worked at the supermarket or my dad was, you know, not even that, but my dad was a lawyer and they might be a lawyer too, you know, and they just go on the same way and they don't look for any changes or challenges other than what they're already doing. Without a doubt. It's, and why would you? Why would you do anything different to what you've already done if you're comfortable with it and and and, and it's what you're your parents did or it's what your friends do, why would you change? Why would you think of doing anything different? What, what would give you the strength, the courage to change? Because no one likes change. I was really happy in my job until I was 40 and then I got ill. And then I started my counselling uh, diploma and degree um, and that really changed my life. But I guess if I hadn't been sick, I wouldn't have ever had the opportunity to do that. And now I'm grateful that I was sick so that I could then have the time to do what I wanted to do. And, you know, it's, I, I guess for us, you and I are talking here, we're on social media, we're on podcasts, uh, we're working with mental health and uh, psychology and stuff like that every day. So to us, it just seems like that would be what most people would want to do. Um, and sometimes when I get messages from people or emails and they go, I don't know what to do in my life, I say, well, look, let's work out a plan of some things you could do and then see which ones you want to do. And, and it's not actually that hard to change, but it's actually wanting to change. And there's a lot of people out there who don't want to change. They're, they're happy with where they are, and that's great. It's, uh, I don't know. I don't know why we got on that tangent. but. <laughs> <laughs> Well, personal development is important and you're delivering a, a part of personal development for people to, 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 to see things differently. With addiction, the reason people want to give up is... They want a better work. life. They want a better life. But just because you want a better life doesn't mean you get a better life by giving up drugs or alcohol. 
No, and that's actually good that you say that because I think with a lot of people who are on drugs, they're probably told, look, your life will be better, you'll have so much more money, and and you might have those things, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be happier. It just means that you've taken drugs out of the equation and now what are you going to do with your life? And I guess for some people it would almost be like restarting again because if they've done drugs for five years, 10 years, 20 years, and then they stop, well, now you're 30, 40, 50, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? What are you qualified in? What can you qualify in? Are you interested in qualifying for anything? Are you interested in being part of life and what everybody's doing? Because some people might come off drugs and go, to be honest, I don't really want to do anything. So you're really helping people with two parts of the scenario because you're saying to them, okay, cool, you want a better life, but this is how you can have a better life because this is what you've told me you want to do and this is how you can you can achieve this. This is, you know, and, and go through that part of it. So you've dealt with the reason for you using, so you don't need to do that, and you've also dealt with, okay, you want a better life, this is how you can have a better life. As well as that, you don't use elements of 12-step at all because it doesn't work and we need better ways of doing things. And a big part of 12-step um, or AA and NA and GA and uh, yeah, is, is groups. And group work, we're led to believe group work is amazing. Some group work could be, but group work is maybe sharing ideas and sharing concepts and sharing stories in the case of the AA model of your stories doesn't actually do anything for the mind to make you want to continue on that journey of not using. It actually puts you back in that concept of, hey, yeah, a drink might be nice or this might be nice or that might be nice. But if you're ever to do that, the AA model, you know, kicks you out, you know, that's it, you know, how dare you and makes you feel even worse because you're made to feel like that. We don't want you to, to to be made to feel anything, but by sharing stories is just sharing something that you're actually telling your mind you want to do. So the only group work that we do is group work that has family, re, re, uh, reuniting the family together. So it could be that somebody in the family has, has taken money from people and they've been kicked out, but they want to come back to the family. So we do, we do consultations with the family together to reintegrate it. That life of using needs to be left behind. You don't want to deal with that. So we keep that to the, to the, the smallest amount possible, but family reintegration is very important. And look, you bring up a good point because I was talking to someone a little while ago and they had given up alcohol. I can't remember the actual years and days, but it was like one year, six months, three days and 20 hours. And I went, why do you remember that? And they go, because that's when I had my last drink. And I said, but if you're constantly reminding yourself of when you had your last drink, I guess, yes, it does it does give you a date and time where you can go, well, I haven't had it for that long, but also every day you're remembering it. And I would have thought it would have been better to change the way you think so you're not constantly reminding yourself of when you last had your drink and try and replace that with something different so that you've got a a better thought, almost like cognitive behavioural therapy, change the thought so that that thought isn't what comes into your head every time you think of a drink. I would have thought, like, if you wanted to have a drink, it would be better to have, no, I don't drink anymore, you know, rather than, well, I haven't had a drink for one year, five days, you know. Exactly. It's a constant reminder. I mean, it is a milestone, (laughs) which is good that you can say, look, I've been this long, but also I think it's a reminder of you were an alcoholic. And the thing is that 
you might find that for 364 days, it's fine to say that. But on the 365th day, you've also dealt with some other stress, some other dramas going on in your life. And so, you know, you go, actually, it might have been all that time, but I loved it. I'm going to have a drink today because other things aren't going so well. So it's not all about that just because you talk about it, you're going to want to use, not at all, but it's what you constantly feed your mind it wants more of. Yeah. And that can be good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think with addiction, look, you, you've done really well because you've conquered your addiction, you've changed your life to be more positive and help other people with what you've learned and what you know, which is always important because, as I say, and I, I, I did have an email the other week saying, no, oh, you're putting psychologists down and counsellors. I said, no, I'm not. What I'm saying is counsellors and psychologists are fantastic. People who have been through something are fantastic. When they mesh together like you're doing and you work as a counsellor and you've got that lived experience, it brings a different dynamic and it's not putting anyone down. It's saying that this person who's lived this can actually really empathise with the person because they know exactly what this person's going through. We can learn everything. I've learned so much stuff with my studies, but mm -hmm. there are things that I would go, oh, actually, I don't think I could counsel someone on that because I don't really know that much about it and I'd have to really study up and still it would only be what I've learned, uh, which is still good, but if I've lived that experience, then that's a lot better. And, and I think that's why it's important as well that we refer people on when we don't actually know what we're talking about on that subject. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because at the moment they've found you or they've found me, but then it's like it's not the right fit. It's like how long are they going to have to wait to, to see somebody else? Yeah. Definitely, but, but definitely important to refer on, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, you know, if they find us and they go, look, you're not the right person for me, do you know someone else? We always know people that we can refer people on to or different podcasts that you can listen to where they might have someone that they can help you with. So we're always, this is why we do this, isn't it? It's so that people have uh, something that they can listen to, go to, look at on social media, um, and that's where they're going to find stuff, especially younger people. They're going to look on social media and go, I've got this issue, what can I do? And on social media, you'll find something that can help you. It might put you in your direction, my direction, someone else's direction, but we need to put it out there so people of all ages can look at an, uh, an avenue of where they can connect and start working through something. Because counselling and psychologists in a room is not always the way to be, and you do it on the beach as well. That's right. Well, you do. do it on the beach. You do sessions on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So definitely, beaches, beach counselling is good. Online counselling is good. In person is great too. But it's great to see what has happened in the last couple of years. Um, you know, to put us all online. You know, the yep, way, way yep. where we're doing we're doing right now. Yeah. Look, two years ago, I was only recording in the studio. Limited guests. Then COVID hit, and Zoom hit, and then all of a sudden I started having all these guests from all over the place. <laughs> and it uh, opened up the podcasts in a huge way. And you, you know, you're living in the same state as me, but you're still three hours away. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so it would be hard to catch up in person. Um, look, it was great to have you back on, Mike. Is there anything else you want to cover? Oh, tell us your um, website and your Instagram details. For sure. What's probably easier is my link tree, um, you know, L-I-N-K-T-R-E-E, -E, you know, link tree, Mike.carol. Um, and that will give you all my, all my websites, everything, but all, or mccounseling.com or mccounseling at, at mccounseling on Instagram. 
Or even if they just Google MC counseling, it will give them all the options. Sure. Correct. That's Actually, right. Actually, I didn't even know you could do that with Linktree. Just Linktree, life changes you. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd have, you could do, exactly. You could. So that's where you have to type in Linktree. And if it was me, life changes you and right. everything would come up. Yep. So if I, if I typed in Linktree, Mike Carroll, that would come up. Yep. And then you get that link and then you can go to have everything there. Wow. And I want to put a link of this podcast into that too. So that instead of having to go to separate ones, you've, you've got that and then it'll go to, to the platform that, that, that has it. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't. Now you've just opened up more things for me because I didn't realize I could put different podcasts into Linktree. I've just got a link to the main podcast, but maybe I could do the weekly one in of there. Of course, definitely. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you so right. much, Mike. It's uh, great to have you on again. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Dan. You've got a great show, and it's always good to come on. And thank you for being the last guest for season two. So remember, I'll be back on June the 12th. Uh, after about four weeks break and uh, we've got the guy from The Secret coming and I can't remember the other guests but we've, I've got heaps of guests coming up so we will see you back on June the 12th thank you so much and thank you Mike thank you very much well that was another episode of Life Changes You if you want to contact us we're available on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and we also have a website lifechangesyou.com.au So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening.